Watermark. Come on. That new uh, fun video means we're starting a new series here in Dallas as Plano and Fort Worth teach live at those locations. I get to be with you here in Dallas, excited about the outsiders. And uh, I want to start with a story about a time when I was an outsider. And so this is from my misdirected youth as a high school student. Uh, all my friends were going to South Padre for spring break. All my friends, that's what you tell your parents. All my friends are going. All my friends. And, uh, and I had a, a hunch that my parents weren't going to let me go to Padre for spring break. So I asked them if my friends and I could go to Rockport, which is the family-friendly beach close to home. And uh, they said, sure. And so four friends and I loaded up in the car, and we drove to Rockport. And we stopped there for a little while, and then we went to Padre. And... Um, <coughs> The reason we wanted to go to South Padre is because there was a club there called Louis Backyard. And I don't think backyard, it was like multi-leveled, you know, thousands of people on a dance floor, all kinds of debauchery. And so let me just insert here, in case you're a high school student uh, or a parent of one, this was stupid, okay? Don't do this. Uh, but we went and we got to Louis Backyard, traveled four hours south, got to Louis Backyard. And uh, the problem was that Three of the five of us could not get in. We weren't old enough, okay? But it's okay because we had a plan because we were brilliant high school students. And so the plan was uh, the two uh, that were old enough were going to go in through the bouncer, get in there, you know, get the wristbands, all that good stuff. And then the rest of us, the other three of us, were going to wait by this side door and they were going to come and let us in. And so this was, it was genius and it worked flawlessly. They went in, we went to the door and we waited and we waited and we waited. And about an hour goes by. And I'm like, what happened? Did they get in trouble? Did they get busted? Did somebody, was somebody onto us, knew what we were doing? They, they weren't able to find the door. What went wrong? Well, eventually, by some other means, the three of us were able to get inside. And so I'm in there, and I'm navigating the crowd, looking for the guy that was supposed to let me in. And I find him on the mechanical bull. And I'm like, hey, oh, Bro, what are you doing? And he looks over at me and he goes, oh, I totally forgot. And I start there because I think this is something we struggle with as Christians, followers of Christ. Like we get inside the kingdom, we receive all the promises of Christ. We're here, we're comfortable, we got our Bible studies, learning God's word, we got the worship songs we like, you know, the community group and whatnot. And we forget that there's this call upon our lives to go back and let those outside in. That we're to go to the outsiders. And in fact, that's what we're looking at as we move through this series. We're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke looking specifically at Jesus interacting with the outsiders. And you've heard it before that Jesus, you know, was with the sinners and the tax collectors. And, and we, I think we get inoculated to that idea and forget how true it was. He spent so much of his time reaching the outsiders. And you and I, Christians or little Christ or Christ followers, Doing like Jesus did, it's funny how different our activities look like than his. And so that's what I want to talk with you this morning. If you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at how Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. 
Jesus prioritized the outsiders. And I want to teach this morning and really set up this series, The Outsiders. And I don't know what you're coming from and how you feel this morning. Different groups represented here. And so maybe you feel like an outsider this morning. Maybe you are from another country. Maybe you speak a different language. Maybe it's hard to understand this. Maybe you're hearing this right now through an interpreter. I want you to know you're welcome here. We have a home here for you. We're so glad you're here. Maybe you're here, you're of a different ethnicity. Maybe you're a person of color and you're surrounded by people who are a different color than you. I want you to know you're welcome here. This is your home. Make it your home. We're so glad you're here. But maybe it's not your ethnicity, your skin color, your background or where you're from. Maybe what makes you feel like an outsider today is something you've done recently. Maybe it's a fight you got into on the way to church or maybe last night you got into it and no one talked on the way to church. It's still awkward. And you, you're in here and, and you just feel different and I want you to know this is your home too. You're welcome here. Maybe you've done something recently. Maybe you looked at something. Maybe you went back to pornography. Maybe you're hungover this morning like I was the first time I came here. Maybe there's an abortion in your background and you swore you'd never say that word. You're never going to address it. It's shame from something you did or shame from something that happened to you. I want you to know you're welcome here. We have a place for you here. You are at home here. And maybe you're a Christian, a Christ follower. You've been running hard after Jesus and you know the calling on your life to to seek and to allow God to use you to introduce others to him. And you're getting after it. I hope this series spurs you on. Stay at it. Keep going. But maybe you're here and you identify as a Christian, but you've already rolled the eyes of your heart. Oh, here we go. Another evangelism message. JP's going to yell at me to share the faith. I know what's coming. I've heard it all. And you've moved to a place where you no longer feel like you need to reach those outside. I hope this is a wake-up call for you. I hope we look at familiar texts in the scriptures and see them in new light. And we change by starting to acknowledge that our heart has been hardened. And so I'm going to mostly be in Luke chapter 5. Verses 27 through 32, but I want to take some time to set this up. As we move through this section, we're going to look at how Jesus seeks out the outsider, how Jesus brings them inside, and what it means when we are no longer, no longer seeking out the outsider. To say this in a different way, we're going to look at three, different, three groups of people. We're going to look at Jesus. He's going to call the, the apostle Levi, and, uh, and we're going to look at his reaction, and then we're going to look at the Pharisees and the religious people 
and their reaction to this. I want to start in Luke chapter 4 because uh, Jesus continues as he moves through this gospel to make religious people, the churchmen, the churchgoers, very, very upset with him. And so he shows up on the scene in Galilee, moves to Nazareth, that's his hometown, and he's just doing ministry, healing the sick, casting out demons, helping people, and he goes into the synagogue. He's going to preach his sermon in the synagogue. And what you would do at this time is the rabbis, they would hand you a scroll, you'd open it and you'd read something and maybe teach from it or explain it. He opened the hand. He goes in the synagogue. They hand him a scroll. He unrolls it there and he reads from Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And he says something. And then he says, you hear this? I came to do this. You're not doing it. And they get so mad at him here that they in a moment want to kill him. They take him, they take him up to the top of a cliff and they're gonna throw him off. Could you imagine Jesus' ministry ends in like a week or two, right? They throw him off a cliff, but he's God. And so he like does some ninja move, gets out, walks away. But what did he say that made him so mad? He said, the spirit of God is on me. I came to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to heal the blind of the powerless, to set those who are in prison free, and to help the oppressed. Rolls up the scroll. Guys, this has been fulfilled today. Everyone's still okay with what he's saying, but then he goes, you're not doing that. You guys don't care about those on the outside. And the Pharisees and the religious people are like, who, us? Wait, what? What's he saying? Let's kill him. That's literally what happened. And then he continues on in the ministry that he said he came to do. And these guys, uh, he's healing people, and these guys bring their paralyzed friend. They try to get him to Jesus, but they can't get to him, so they lower him through a roof, a hole in the roof. This is Luke chapter 5. We talked about this in the Can You Relate series. Can You Relate to Community? Taught this text. They lower him to Jesus, and when Jesus sees him, he says something. You know what he says? He says, your sins are forgiven. And again, the religious people are all up in arms. Wait, 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 hold on. What did he say? You can't just go around forgiving people's sins. And he says this, he says, oh, I can't. Watch me. And he leaves there and he walks up to a man who, by everyone's account, would have been the worst man. This was the man Levi. He's in a tax collecting booth. He's the man everybody hated and no one trusted. Levi was a Jew. Levi was a tax collector because he sold out on his Jewish people to the Roman government, bid on a job. Whoever would bid the highest, whoever, hey, I'll collect the most taxes, they would give him that job. And the way they would make good on that bid is they would make up things to tax people for. And so Levi starts taxing his family and his friends and anybody goes by, he just steals from them. And that's how he earns his own income is he would add to it. This is well documented in history. So everybody hates this guy. And Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. Levi's like, who, me? See, he's heard of Jesus because everyone's heard of Jesus, this new rabbi on the scene doing this amazing work. And Levi's like, I'd love to go see Jesus, but I can't because I'm stuck here in my tax collecting booth. I have to do the work so that I can make good on my bid to Rome. Jesus comes up to him now and says, follow me. Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus. 
invites all his sinful friends over to his house and throws this raging party. Has a party at his house and invites Jesus. And again, we see the religious people walk by and say, who is this joker that he hangs out with such sinful people? As Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. Let's go. Verse 27. After this, this is after Jesus healed the paralyzed man, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. So very different than the rich young ruler who left sad because he was a man of great wealth. Levi, also a man of great wealth, left it all and followed Jesus. Didn't say, but hold on, first I need to go bury my dad. No, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. But wait, hold on, but first I need to go care for my family. Nope, you come and you follow me and Levi just goes, but Jesus seeks him out. And Levi would have been a man of great shame. Whatever you feel this morning, Levi removes your excuse. Whatever you think you've done that God can't forgive you for, Jesus is going to great lengths right here to show you something. Jesus goes up to Levi and he shows him mercy. And Jesus teaches us something valuable here. Mercy. It's greater than shame all day long. Mercy eats shame for breakfast. Mercy is greater than shame. My first point today is that Jesus seeks out the outsider. Jesus, the one we follow, seeks out the outsider. He was a friend to the ones on the fringe. He went to him and he said, follow me. And so if you're here and you feel some shame today because something you've been a part of, something you've done, or something that's been done to you, Jesus is calling you into a relationship with, to him, with himself this morning. He's after you. He's crazy about you. He's chasing you. You say, but yeah, JP, but how do I know? How do I know? And just consider with me for a moment where you are. You're surrounded by God's people and God's the place of God, being read and taught from the scriptures of God. He's after you, man. He's after you. And what he wants from you is the same thing that Jesus wanted from Levi, for you to take a step of faith and to follow him. And this guy here in history that we see, he was so unsuspecting. The Talmud, or a collection of Jewish laws that we have tells us some things about tax collectors. There were two kinds. There was the bad kind. They were called the gabai, the bad kind. And then there was the worst kind, the mokus. You got bad and worst. Levi was a mokus. Okay, and even to make matters more confusing, the mokus, there were two kinds of mokuses. There was a great mokus and a little mokus. A great mokus was like the Tony Montana character, the, the kingpin, the drug lord, if you will. Uh, Zacchaeus was a great mocus. Uh, uh, they would have people who they would employ that would sit in these tax collectors' booths. You would never see them. But then there was a little mocus. They're the pushers on the streets, the, the corners. They're the face to the hatred, to the stealing, the robbing, the trading. The, uh, Levi was a little mocus. Everyone hated this man, you just think about the worst person you know. Think about the person that you just lose hope for. 
because Jesus called the most unsuspecting character to follow him. Some Jewish teachings actually say that this Mochus character couldn't be saved. There's no salvation for them. That's how much they hated this guy. One commentary said that one of the first people Jewish called was one of, I'm sorry, one of the first people Jesus called was one of the last anyone would have expected. And this does two things for you. One, it assures you and reminds you that no one is outside the reach of God. To that person that you get frustrated with because they're not responding and you sit down with them and you share the gospel and it's always, you always leave a little bit frustrated because of the way they act and they won't stop doing what they're doing and you just want their life to change so bad if they just hear you. I want to give you two words. Patient hope. Patient hope. That's what you can have. You can know that God is at work. He's doing things you can't see. He is partnering with your words and your actions, and you can trust him. And you can be patient. His timing is not your timing. And so you don't have to get frustrated. You don't have to get frustrated at them. It, it is up to God. Make no mistake about it. He changes the hearts of men and women. And so you can respond faithfully with a patient hope. And so it assures us that no one is outside the reach of God. The second thing that it does is it smashes our prejudice. It destroys our prejudice. See, everyone here this morning, you have a a prejudiced part of your heart that you're not even aware of. You have subscribed to a flavor of Christianity that is much like yourself. It's, it's your flavor of Christianity. It's the one that you like. And you know there's other flavors out there, but they scare you and you like this one. And you like the songs that we sing and the way that we worship. You're comfortable in that. And you like the, the style of preaching or a place that is comfortable to you. And that's what you know of Christianity. And if someone is outside of that, it just makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And God comes in here and he shows us that there's not some cookie cutter Christian. I remember when I learned this. I remember when I learned this hard lesson. I was, I was teaching at a retreat in Cedar Hill. And the camp that I was teaching at was outside the city. And I took a friend with me. Uh, David went with me, and, and so we were teaching these men in this very rural retreat center, and uh, in between messages, I, we were going to go get something to eat, and there wasn't any place to eat around there, but there was this gas station on the side of the highway in the middle of nowhere. And so we went into this gas station. It was a very scary place, very dirty place, but they served food there, and we like to live on the edge. And so we were like, okay, we'll do it. And, uh, and the only two people in there, there was the lady behind the counter, and there was this man sitting at a slot machine, which is confusing because it's Texas, but there was a slot machine. And, um, and he has this, like, tight white uh, tank top on and these baggy jeans cinched together with a belt, and he's smoking a cigarette in this gas station, feeding a slot machine, and he, he's got this shaved head and, and these tattoos you know, on the side of his head coming down his body, and he, he looks like he's playing a white supremacist in a movie, this guy, a scary character. And we go in, and we order some food, and we sit down to eat, and we begin to do paper, rock, scissors for who has to share the gospel <laughs> with... Wait for it, wait for it. 
the woman behind the counter, because we weren't going to mess with that guy, the woman behind the counter. And so we do paper, rock, scissors, and David loses because sharing the gospel is a consequence. And, uh, and, so, and so he has to go share the gospel with this woman. And so he gets up his courage, and he just goes up there, and he's like, hey, how are you today? And she's like, fine. He goes, what's your name? She's like, Kim. He goes, Kim, are you having a good day? I already told you I was fine. <laughs> well, Kim, when is the last time that someone told you that Jesus loves you? Every day. Well, every, every day? Really? Someone tells you Jesus loves you every day? Yes, every day. Wow, out here? Well, Kim, who, who, who tells you Jesus loves you? James does. That, that guy, James over there? This James? James, you, you tell Kim Jesus loves her? Yeah. Who, who's asking? Who are you? Jesus loves you too. Hey, you guys, come over here. Let me talk to y'all for a second. James, James, how do you know Jesus? Man, Jesus changed my life, man. You don't even know. Like, you don't get I was an addict. I was on the streets. You wouldn't believe what happened to me and the things that I did. And you know, God sent his son to the earth. He lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross. Have you ever seen Jesus on the cross, guys? He did that for me. He did it for you, too, okay? He goes in the grave. He comes out of the tomb. That's what he did to pay the price for my sins, and he promises me eternal life. I'm living right now for that eternal life. I'll tell Kim. I'll tell you. I'll tell anybody who will listen. Do you guys know Jesus? I think we know him better now. I think we know him better now. And, and it, just, it just told me God works different than I thought. Sometimes his people look different than I thought. Sometimes they do different than I thought. It doesn't always fit in my clean categories. And Jesus saved James, and James was reaching out to Kim because he knew that Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. And so Levi follows Jesus, leaves everything, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Where it says others here in Luke, we see this almost verbatim in uh, Mark and Matthew, this same account, same word, same story. But where they say others, they, it, they go to great lengths to show you others with a sinful reputation, those who were known by everyone in the community as sinners, the dirty people, the people on the fringe, the outsider, that's who's at this party. It's my second point, that Jesus brings the outsiders in to reach their outsider friends. Jesus brings the outsiders in to reach their outsider's friends. And so Levi, he, he has this party. Who did he invite to the party? The people he knew. It's a part of God's strategy. God saved you. And in part, the, one of the reasons that he saves you is because you belong to a network of people. You've got people attached to you. You know, it may be like some single working mom group or some, you know, mothers of young kids group or some PTA group or some club that you're a part of, some organization that you go to. You know, maybe it's the salesmanship club or, or Sam's club, I don't know, some club, right, that you, that you belong to, and there's people there, 
And God wants you to reach them. And he reached you to reach them. And I don't know who that is, but you need to be, the wheels need to be turning right about now. You're like, oh man, I hadn't thought about that, that, that's, that I'm the one that God chose to go to them. That's a part of his plan. And you're a part of his plan to reach them. I remember when I came to work at Watermark, my friend John McGee sat me down and challenged me. And, and see, I was straight out of corporate America. Most of my friends were lost, didn't know Christ. And he, he challenged me, he said, you need to be real careful because if you're not careful, within two years, all your friends are going to be Christians. And he didn't mean, he didn't mean that like, they were going to trust Christ to be converted. He meant that they'd be replaced with Christians. And I just thought that was the craziest thing because the reason I was going into vocational ministry is because I had a heart for evangelism. And I'm like, John, don't you understand? Like, I love lost people. I love being around lost people. That's why I'm gonna do this. But I see now as time progresses how strong that current is to carry you in the bubble that at some point you look up and all that is around you are believers in Jesus. And we're not even comfortable around those who don't believe in Jesus anymore. You're so consumed and so often around those who follow Christ that you're uncomfortable when you're around those who don't follow Christ. And you know why you're uncomfortable around them? Because you want them to act like Christians, which is crazy if you just think about it. Like, do you really want someone who does not have the Holy Spirit to act like someone who does? Not unless you don't. Do you really want someone to learn to act like they're a Christian when they're not one? When they do those things and say those things, they're just fulfilling their job description. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, they should speak with perversion. They should use words that aren't clean. Lie, cheat, steal. Do the same things that you do if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And maybe even the same things that you did when you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And yet now you can't even stand to be around it. You have no patience for it. you got to think about what's going on here. Jesus is right there in the middle of Levi and all his sinful friends. You've got prostitutes there and pimps there and, and dealers there. And you've got the, the tax collectors there and the loan sharks there. What's the conversation look like at this party? Man, you won't believe what I did with who and we went where. And it was, man, he wouldn't pay me, so I just broke his legs. Oh, you broke his legs. Did you use the club? Because I've used the club before. That's the quick way. Levi's right there in the middle. He just dropped a curse word. How did, is Jesus comfortable? Is he uncomfortable? What does he say? My hunch is he could hold his own, you know, being God and all. I think he just knew they weren't saved yet. Right? You see their hearts. They're not saved yet. So there's this call for us to go back and to reach those outside the faith, to, to seek out the people on the fringe, to, to love those that the world has passed over, to love those that maybe even some in the church has passed over. 
And sometimes those people land right in our path. I um, was having, I was at dinner with my family this week. We were having Tex-Mex at a restaurant and, and we had a friend with us. And we said, we had gotten our food, we're sitting there at the table and this little girl walks up to me. She comes into the restaurant, she's dirty, filthy. Comes right up to our table, about nine years old, hands me a note. Does this ever happen to you? Hands me a note. And I was eating with my hands. I didn't even want to touch the note. I mean, it was dirty and gross and it's all folded up. And she hands it to me and I take it and I open it up and it just says, we need money for a hotel room tonight. We're on the street. My, my wife's moved with compassion. Our, our friend is moved with compassion. If I'm honest, what I felt was frustration. Like, I'm like, I'm eating here. You're interrupting our meal. Like, it, this is a terrible idea. You're nine years old. Where's your mom? Where, where is your mom? She points. And would you, would you bring your mom over here? Brings the mom. Oh, it's you. We, we've talked before. Hugh and I, we've talked before. The note gig. You probably saw me. Didn't want to bring the note to me. Had your daughter... Come, we, we've talked a few times, so okay, still same situation. This isn't a good idea, man. And like, I wish she'd kind of hire me as a consultant for her money-raising plan. Like, I, could, I think I could give her some advice, help her out a little bit. That's what's going through my head. And if you want me to be fully transparent with you, the thought that I had is, okay, when is management going to come over, throw you out so we can get back to eating? Because that's got to happen, right? They don't want you in here. You're interrupting our meal, man. This is not okay, and it's certainly not okay you'd have your nine-year-old daughter do it. Okay, fine. Like, what do y'all, y'all want some, uh, how about I get you some food? How about I get you some food, send you on your way? And then I got to think, I'm like, what would Jesus do? What would he do? Since I'm a little Jesus, Christian, Christ follower, what would he do? I think Jesus would be the first to act. Most of the time, people wouldn't probably even like, be able to come up to him. He'd see him across the room. Hey, hey, what are you doing with a note over there? Come, come over here. Wait, hold on. Who is a family? Y'all hand, hand that. Come here. Y'all come over here. What's going on? Hey, sit down. Pull up a chair. Y'all sit down. What do you want? Let me get you some food. You want enchiladas, fajitas? What do you want? Okay. All right, y'all have a seat. I'm, I'd love to hear your story. I'll be right back. Come back and engage with them. Sounds like y'all are in a tough spot. Y'all follow me. Follow me. I'm not gonna, I can't give you a dollar, but you can follow me. I, I think, why don't we do that? I don't want to be taken advantage of. My hunch is you don't want to be taken advantage of. You've probably seen the other side of that game at some point. Hey, it's hard to know who's you know, really in a bad spot and who just found something that worked and who's working for somebody else and, you know, what are they going to use the money for? Are they going to use it for drugs? Are they really need it for a shelter, you know? And you just, you're putting all of that and you're just like, man, I don't know. I don't want to enable. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I'm just going to do nothing or at least, or I'll just give you a dollar and move on, right? But Jesus, he's so brilliant being God and all. He came up with this amazing strategy to cut through any kind of scheme or plan, he just says, follow me. And it hit me. And so I got to, so Monday I whiffed. But Thursday um, I was at a meeting downtown with a guy for lunch. And I got out of my truck and there was Charles. And Charles just said, hey, can you help me out? I said, Charles, what kind of help do you need? He said, I just need some money, man, to get some food. I said, Charles, I got you, bro. We're about to go in here and eat. We, we've got to meet. But you just come with us. 
you sit down, a part of our time together, we'd love to hear your story. And you can just hang out with us. And he looks at us, he's like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think so, man. I, I need to be out, stay out here and work. Can you just give me some money? I'm like, Charles, Charles, I can't help you. But you're welcome to come with us. But if you don't want to come with us, I can't help you. You don't have to be afraid of someone coming out up to you. You can seek them out first. Bob Goff said it this way, Jesus spent his whole life engaging the people most of us have spent our whole lives trying to avoid. Jesus spent his whole life engaging the people most of us have spent our whole lives trying to avoid. Now right about now, some of you are thinking in the back of your mind, you're like, but what about safety? Is it safe? I don't know. I don't doubt it. Is it safe? What about you know, the, the guy, the big strong the guy's thing? But what about the single mom? What's he saying to the girl? I don't know. Be responsible. Did you guys hear about the, the family that brought that person in and they killed everyone? Me neither. Well, hold, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Some of you are going on Google right now. Stop it, okay? Don't listen. Don't email me. Don't tell me it happened. You know, here in. You know, Kansas, stop it, okay? I'm sure, I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened, okay? Please don't let this crazy extreme keep you from doing something, okay? Do something. Don't be irresponsible. But if you are irresponsible, be irresponsible like Jesus was irresponsible. Because he came to bring the outsiders in. So they're hanging out at Levi's house at this party. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. See, they're all mad again. This is a pattern. Religious people, they're mad. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, Doctors are, spend their time around sick people so that they can make them well. This is important for you to know. You're a doctor. Now don't embrace their sickness, right? But you're there to help them. You gotta ask the question, am I going to be influenced by them or am I there to influence them? And I hope you're there to influence them, to help, to render aid. You have the cure for their illness. But there's another illness you need to be aware of. It's, it's the Pharisaical illness. It's the religious illness that you would become like the Pharisees. You catch Pharisaitis or Pharisyphilis or something. It's bad. It's real bad. You don't want it. You don't want it. And, and it's contagious. And that's these guys. They don't know they're sick. See, there's a part, this, part of this conversation is awkward because Jesus is like, Hey, I came for the sick people. And right about then, Levi and his boys are like, whoa, hold on. Oh, who are you calling sick? But I don't think they were because I think they knew they were sick. See, the Pharisees didn't know they were sick. And they're like that guy in the office. You know, he shows up and he's got 103 fever and he's coughing all over everybody. And he's like, who's sick? I'm not sick. And you're like, dude, go home or go to the doctor or go somewhere else. You're going to get me sick. And that's what will happen. You start hanging around with just church people, just all in the church, all closed up, never going outside, don't want to reach them, don't need to. And all of a sudden you, you, you catch it. I want to get dirty. 
So let's talk about three ways you know you have fair syphilis. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm kidding. The third point, third point, when that's a distraction, I'm sorry. When no longer, when you no longer desire to reach the outsider, you might be one. When you no longer desire to reach the outsider, you might be one. It's, it's the truth, this reality, that there's a drift in all of our hearts that we can get caught up in to be just like the Pharisee. And it's like when you show up to your small group and you're like, man, I just don't have any opportunities to share the gospel. You go around, when's the last time you shared it? I just haven't had a lot of opportunities. But then you're pumping gas, you're like, please don't come up to me, please don't come up to me, please don't come up to me, please don't come up to me. And then over here, you're like, I just don't have any opportunities, but please don't, you know, don't interrupt my life. You don't realize the contradiction that's going on. That God has people all over for us to share with. Jesus is hanging out in Levi's courtyard having a meal with his friends. The Pharisees go by, look over the fence. What? Peter, come here. What's he doing? What's your boy doing hanging out with this riffraff? Hanging out with those people? And Jesus is like, these are the people I came for. That's why I'm here. So what about you? I know for a lot of you, evangelism is a terrifying thing. You've heard the message and you're just kind of like, okay, like you're going to get in your car, feel guilty for a day, maybe share the gospel like out of compulsion with somebody, reach out to somebody, and then just kind of move on about your life. Like that's the pattern. And I'd love to submit something to you different, a plan that is just a little bit different, that I don't think you'll find as so awkward, that as something, a gift that you have that everyone can use to share their faith. Before I unveil that, let me just kind of give you a scenario. When everyone's outside and you need to bring them in, what do you do? See, like when uh, I was just at my parents' house and I grew up on 20 acres there and so everybody's outside. When we go there, the kids are outside, they're climbing trees and chasing kittens and riding their bikes down the dirt road and the men are in the pasture shooting skeet and there's some, some other guys in the, you know, the cl- uh, in the, um, what am I trying to say, the garage the shed, the barn, fixing a tractor or something. And mom's like, hey, you need to bring everybody in. What do I do? How, how am I going to get everybody inside? I open the door and I say, dinner's ready. And the kids are falling out of trees and guys are putting up shotguns and stopping what they're doing and coming in. They just collapse it on the house because we gather around mealtimes. And so everybody here, you have an evangelism tool. Almost every single person in this room has this tool. And if you don't have it, you have access to it. And it's so unbelievably powerful to facilitate a conversation around the gospel. Then let me show you this tool. I'm going to show it. I'm going to unveil it to you. This is the tool each of you have to bring others to know Christ. It's your table. 
and not just your table, but it's different things for each of you. Like some of you, you have this recipe that was passed down from your grandmother to your mom to you, and it's that thing that you make that everybody loves. Like, oh, when are you gonna make that again? That thing, that's a tool that God's entrusted to you to bring others to know him. It may be those tamales that you make that people get excited about the season or, or some recipe or thing or, or dish, or for guys, right? For you, it's that big, green, obnoxious egg that you had to have, that you've used three times. Your wife was elbowing you during the Be Rich series, like, you know, you need to put that in a garage sale. And, and, and I know one day you're going to make those pizzas on it or whatever, but that could be this thing we could justify having that right now to use to share the gospel. And maybe you smoke meat. Maybe you're really good at brisket or something. Maybe you got one of those Traegers, you know, that have those pellets because you're a cheater. Uh, maybe that thing, you know, you can use to share the gospel. Or maybe you bought that home. You know, the home with the range and the vinahood. And you would do the conversation. You're like, we, we could really host some people if we had this. Now it's time to make good on that. You can make good on the hospitality that you promised you'd have when you bought those things. And you can bring the people in to your table. In fact, if you can afford it, I'd encourage you to buy a table bigger than what you need. And let the empty chairs convict you every night. And serve as a reminder to fill them to bring others into your home. If I'm somebody and I've never been to church and I don't like your God and I don't like your Jesus and you know me and you can invite me to church or to dinner, which one do you think I'm more likely to take? And so I'm unapologetically asking you this week and really just to begin a habit of inviting someone to dinner. Now, why don't we do this? One reason, I think, time. Where it says they're eating in the Greek, it actually says they were reclining. Because these meals, they were a place where you would get comfortable. This was not a quick, you know, let me squeeze you in in an hour between these two meetings. This was when, when Levi said, Jesus, do you want to come over? Jesus carved out a half a day to spend time with Levi's people. And so it takes time to let someone's mess enter into your life. It takes time, right? Second reason I think we don't do this, and I don't know how else to say it other than this word, vanity. Because what's going through your mind is you're like, man, I would love to invite people over. You know, he's right. I do make that amazing dish. And, uh, but I don't want to clean the house. Like to invite them over means I gotta clean the house. And like, and, and which is, to, to which I was like, really? Like in a place that values authenticity, to bring someone into your life, you have to make it look like you have it all together? Really? Like, what if you invited them in and the dishes are piled up and the laundry hasn't been done and the house is kind of messy and you just like, hey, would you like to have a seat? Bring your mess into my mess. 
See, you're not bringing them in to try to make them jealous of you, or you're not bringing them in so that they would think that you have it all together. You're bringing them in, letting them know that you don't have it all together, but you do have a seat at your table for them. What if we did that? One person said if we want our Sunday mornings or our services, weekend services, to look different, then our evening dinners need to look different. And what if we started practicing that? Praise God that Jesus invited the outsider named Levi in. Do you know who this man was, Levi? See, in Mark and Luke, his name is Levi. Some Commentary. Some scholars say that they wanted to keep him anonymous because he was a tax collector. In this time, it was very common to have two names, Saul and Paul, so forth and so on. Here you have Levi. His other name was Matthew. This man that Jesus says, follow me, he wrote the Bible. You turn to the New Testament, the first book, that's the book he wrote. He's one of the 12 apostles, not just one of the 12 apostles, one of the four evangelists. He's one of the men who carried the gospel forward, who carried it forward, who carried it forward, so that it got to you, so that we preach it here in the service. That's this man. You see what that does for your guys that can't be reached, women in your life who can't be reached. God wants to use them in ways you can't even imagine. And when Matthew wrote this, Matthew includes something that the other, he lived it, he saw it from a different perspective. He includes this verse, it's one line, Hosea 6, chapter 6. And it just says that God does not want your sacrifices, he wants your mercy. Because Matthew, Levi, experienced mercy. And mercy is greater than shame, and greater than sin, and greater than past, and greater than struggles, and greater than being outside. And so in summary... If you're here and you feel like you don't deserve Jesus, none of us do. But we're so glad you're here. And he's calling you in and he has a seat at the table for you, at the wedding feast for you, a seat at the banquet of the kingdom of God for you, a seat in eternity eternity for you. And if you're here and you're a believer and you know the call to share your faith, then be spurred on to bring someone to your table. Keep going, friend. And if you're here and you are a believer and you feel no burden to seek out the outsider, I urge you to acknowledge that your heart has been hardened and you've bought into a false Christianity as dangerous as the heresies you hate. There's been a drift. And it's time to return. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. And we want to have a heart that's consistent with the heart of the Father. Two weeks ago, my little girls went to summer camp. And we dropped them off. One of them had been before. One of them had never been. And so she's actually never even stayed away from us for a night. And um, I was pretty sure she was going to be homesick. She's more introverted, if you will. And so every night we'd pray and, I, you know, we'd talk about what was coming. We packed up her trunk and you know, packed up her clothes and wrote her notes for every day. And, 
and we went her to send her to camp. And on the way, I just told her, I said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the person all by themselves. I want you to seek the person who's on the fringe. I want you to find the one who doesn't know anybody else and you just love them. You just go to them and you just engage with them and introduce yourself and play with them. And when you eat a meal, you say, hey, I've got a seat for you. You just do that. Find the person all by themselves. And we sent her to camp. It was a tough week. I mean, the camps are amazing. They do such a great job, but she had a tough week. And they called me, you know, in the middle of the camp to say, hey, she's really homesick. Should we get her? No, she's going to stick it out, okay? So we go to pick her up, you know, lots of tears and um, in that reunion. And we got in the car, and I just looked at her, and I said, hey, did you seek out the person who was all by themselves? Did you seek out the person who didn't know anybody else? And tears just streaming down her face. She says, Daddy, I was that person. I was the one that didn't know anybody. I was the one all by myself. I was the one who wasn't having fun. Daddy, everybody else knew someone. I didn't know anybody. And what it does is it breaks the heart of a father. And you can imagine what I want. I don't want to unwind the tape. I want to find the one person. Would you just go and just help her? Just, just go. Just push through her. When you, when you engage with her first, she's going to be closed off and act like she doesn't want to talk to you. But she really does. You can imagine as a dad how happy I'd be with that person, how much delight that person would bring me. You can imagine the father looks down and he has sons and daughters all over this place sitting on the outside. And he just wants you, his people, to engage them, to invite them in. Let me pray that you would. Father, thank you for the example of Levi who not only came in but invited his friends. And thank you for your loving and gracious son who came to bring the outsiders in. Thank you that we are benefits of that strategy. We've got to come inside because of you who are rich in love, in mercy, and in grace. And God, as we sing this song, would you stir in our hearts a name of somebody in our lives that you want to bring inside? And would you give us the courage to reach out to them? And Lord, would you Encourage our hearts in the way that they even respond to that. Would you bless the faithfulness of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.